Welcome to the podcast, Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture. I'm your host, Scott Ray, Dean of Faculty and Professor of Christian Ethics at Talbot School of Theology here at Biola University. And I'm your co-host, Sean McDowell, Professor of Apologetics at Talbot School of Theology, Biola University. We're back for round two of our discussion with our friend Stephanie Gray on the subject of assisted suicide, euthanasia, and the end of life, in particular what people experience at the end of life, based on her forthcoming book called Suicide to Assist or Not, A Life-Affirming Reflection on the Universal Experience of Suffering. We suggested the first in the first episode that uh, the book is really more about suffering than, than it is assisted suicide. Uh, so... And there's, I think there's some good reason for that, because usually people who request assisted suicide do so out of this overwhelming experience of suffering. Uh, and you gave actually a really good definition of despair uh, in the first segment. So I want to mm-hmm. remind us of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's so that mathematical equation I thought was so helpful. Mm-hmm. So despair is what can lead to suicide. And so I often draw on the insights, as we mentioned in the last episode, of Dr. Viktor Frankl, who came up with this mathematical equation where he says D equals S minus M. And what he means by that is despair is suffering without meaning. And what he shares, which I've adopted and certainly tried to promote, is this idea that because suffering is a universal experience, that we all have suffered and we all will suffer— If we don't want to despair, if we don't want to commit suicide in light of suffering, but if suffering is a part of our reality, then what we need to do is find meaning. We need to look at what we can do because of this newfound situation or what good can come from this very unpleasant experience. And the moment we can attach meaning to the suffering, we no longer are overwhelmed to the point that we want death, that we're despairing, we actually can have a new lease on life and not make our suffering good, but make good come from our suffering. This relates to the way you phrase it at the beginning of the book, which is, again, it's simple, but it's so profound and it's such a big change is that when people suffer, the natural question is why. Mm. But you encourage people not to ask the question why, but what? So what do you mean by that and why yes. do you encourage that question? Yes. I think when we ask, why did this happen to me? Why am I suffering? It is it is often hard to come up with, with an answer that satisfies. I think for an example of a story I share in the book of Michael Morton. I have been so moved by this man's story. I've watched the documentary of his life. I have read his book. I have done a lot of research on him. And so this man uh, was married, had a young child, living your average happy life, and his wife was brutally murdered. Hmm. And he was charged with her murder, except he was innocent. And he was in a Texas prison for almost 25 years. For a crime he did not commit. So this man has lost his wife. He's got to grieve the loss of, loss of his wife. He has a child he's no longer parenting because he's in prison. He shouldn't be in prison. So he's got all those injustices coming upon him. And if we just sit back and say, well, why did that happen to Michael Morton? I, I don't have an answer that really satisfies other than to say, well, unfairness exists. Evil exists. But again, how, how satisfying is that? But if we instead say... What can I do because of this? What can I do now? There's something that empowers us because we can, we can act 
in a positive way. And that's what Michael Morton did. He, he, you know, whether he consciously said, what do I do? He started to do a series of positive what's while he was in prison. You can, you can get further education in prison. So he did his undergrad. He, he did his master's. He started writing. He was writing for small journals. Um, and he was all the while working with lawyers to try to get freed. And eventually he was freed thanks to uh, new DNA testing technology. So here he is having lost his wife, you know, the relationship with his son, although that's been restored, um, 25 years of his life, all of these losses. You would think he would just want to kick back and enjoy the rest of his life now out of prison. But he even talks about how he realized he felt a big responsibility to try to change the justice system so it was more just. And he talks about how I could have just, you know, said, okay, I'm free now and just kick back. But he's like, no, I'm free and I need to make sure this doesn't happen to other people. So that's another powerful example of what do I do now? What do I do now that I'm out of prison? I'm going to try to help people. I'm going to try to make the system better. And so another example that that I use is of um, a, a young boy who was born with uh, Patrick Henry Hughes is his name. And he was born severely disabled. And he had no eyeballs, so he couldn't see, obviously. Um, and and the dad and mom were naturally disappointed that they had a child with a disability because there were things they'd no longer be able to do and sufferings their son would face. And initially, it was overwhelming. The dad was thinking, well, I'm not going to be able to play sports with my son the, the way I had envisioned. Why did that happen to them? Who knows why? But then they started to say, well, what can we do now? And this child was a musical prodigy. He was only a couple years old when the dad who was musical put his son in front of the piano and he started to be able to, by sound, pound out, you know, twinkle, twinkle, little star and everything he heard, the the little baby essentially could, could play. And so he's turned into this amazing musician, all because the family focused on what can we do? Okay, you can't play sports, but you can play piano. You can play trumpet. You can write a book with me, which is what the father and son did. So I think there's empowerment that comes when we suffer by saying, what can I do because of this? What great good can can I bring out of this? I think encouraging people to not ask the why question is really good advice that you have. Yeah, I, th- I reflect back on the, on the experience of Job, for example, unspeakable suffering. Right. And his friends try to give a logical, rational explanation for it. They all fail miserably. Um, and when God comes on the scene, you expect at the end of the book that he's going he's to explain, he's going to finally explain to Job why he suffered all this. But you get nothing of the sort. All you get is the assurance that of God has as a person is present with him to walk through the suffering. But you never he never gets a rational, logical explanation for why he's going through these things. And Ecclesiastes brings this the same truth out in, in a number of different places. And the, the phrase I've used to describe this is that it's it's fruitless to try to unscrew the inscrutable. Mm-hmm. And you know, we will know in eternity how all the puzzle pieces of our life fit together. But this side of eternity, I suspect that if we saw how all of that fit together, we'd probably ask for a plan B. Because if we, you know, if we were given the box top for the jigsaw puzzle, we'd probably ask for another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that focusing on the what is, I mean, it's not only good emotionally and psychologically, I think it's also good theologically. Um, because that, that why question, I think, is generally, for the most unspeakable suffering, is generally unanswerable 
this this side of eternity. It is. And I, I've actually been looking at Job recently and really wrestling uh, with that, that we don't we don't get that that solid apologetic and explanation at the end. But we do get God's majesty. As God points out, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do all of these amazing things that I have done? And so that's where I've also come to see what we really need to say is, I am not God. God is God. And I do have to trust that God is good. And that even if this doesn't feel good or look good or make sense to me, I just don't understand. And I I use an example in the book of, you know, a parent maybe depriving their child of some really attractive looking candy and they, they, they want it and, and they're screaming at their parent, give this to me, give this to me. And the parent says no. And if you're an outsider looking in, it might look like the parent is cruel. And the child may be too young to understand that the child has a severe allergy. And if they eat the candy, they will die. Or they may be too young and their brain underdeveloped to understand the importance of delayed gratification. And the parent actually is going to give them what they want, but it actually is better for them to wait. Those are just two examples of many plausible theories we could put forward for why the parent is depriving the child of the candy they want. But the point is the parent isn't being mean. The parent actually loves the child, wants the child's good, and knows what the child does not know, comprehends what the child doesn't comprehend. And so we are like that child, and God is like the parent, and that's where we need to say, I can't fully explain this, but I know you're good because you died for me. And that's pretty amazing because I have a hard time sacrificing basic things for people I love, let alone my very life. And so it's pretty amazing that you died for me. So I'm just going to trust in your goodness. What I can't explain, you can. Whether you tell me or not, you can explain it and you're good. And to those who are giving care to people who are suffering, stop trying to explain why it took place. Mm, yeah. And wa- and be the, be the literal body of Christ to them by walking with them and being present with them through the suffering that they're experiencing. To be at the foot of the cross, like Mary and John. Foot of the cross. They're just there. They are with the suffering Christ, the crucified Christ. And 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 sometimes when others are suffering, our job is to simply be with. I have a cousin who has been hospitalized for a, a number of um, health problems, serious health problems. And I remember she, she would often say to me, hey, um, just bring your laptop and just work in my room. Like at the hospital. And she's like, don't, I won't talk to you. I promise I won't talk to you. She just wanted me there because she couldn't leave the hospital and she was stuck to a bed and an IV pole and all the other things. But just the assurance that we're not alone is actually something that alleviates our suffering, even if it doesn't eliminate it. Dealing with suffering, it sounds like you're saying it's so much the ideas and beliefs that we have that we bring to it. Mm. We had Doug Grotice on a, a earlier episode and he talked about just loses his wife through a process of dementia and he said the toughest question the toughest challenge was to resist the idea that he knew better than god yes that was the core idea that just changed whether he could deal with suffering or not it sounds like that's what you're saying with people who are going through suffering just knowing somehow even though i don't see it god has a purpose and reason for this Yes. And and that is hard. I mean, when my engagement ended, I went through a period of great anger at God. And then it doesn't help when you have people 
basically communicating things which aren't true. You know, they would say things to me like, well, you serve God so much in your pro-life work as though marriage is a reward, you know? Uh, right, <laughs> well, I right. mean, it would be nice if it was, but it's not. It doesn't oh. matter if I've never done this. If, if I hadn't done the work I'd done, does that mean I, I wouldn't get married? Like, you know, so we start trying to say things to yeah. people that at the end of the day, we just need to say this doesn't make sense. I can't explain it, but I know God is good. I'm with you. You know, I'll help you get through this. Of, There's just mystery. Story. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So let me let me put your questioning skills to the test here. Mm. Let's let's imagine that I have you know I'm 20 or so years older than I am today, and I have just been diagnosed with terminal cancer. In fact, let's let's say it's a terminal stomach cancer. It's they've gone in. It's inoperable. It's the kind of surgery where they go in open you up, take one look, sew you back up, and say there's nothing we can do. Mm. And I have three months to live. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have intestinal blockages. Uh, the amount of suffering is going to be pretty, pretty significant. Uh, and I don't, you know, don't want to be heavily sedated for the rest of my life. I'd like to be reasonably with it. Um, but I don't, I don't see any way that I'm going to be able to escape really, really tough physical pain and suffering over the next three months. Hmm. In fact, my, do- my doctor said you will probably spend the last month of your life curled up in a bed in the fetal position, hmm. wishing to die. Hmm. Why, why, what's wrong with my requesting assisted suicide? It seems to me that the laws legalizing this were written Exactly for people in my condition. Now, for our listeners, mm-hmm. you know I don't I don't actually have this disease. Right, right. Um, strictly hypothetical. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is in case my mom is listening to this. <laughs> um, so, what 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 would you what questions would you ask me? What would you want to know? Let's let's role play it. Mm-hmm. So, I'm just going to narrate for a second for the listeners. Even though you've asked me what's wrong with assisted suicide, I'm actually not going to try to tell you what's wrong with assisted suicide. Um, Because I think just because we've been asked a question, it doesn't mean the best thing is to answer it directly. And what I want to do is try to have you explain more about your fears and the reality we're currently in versus what's not yet realized. So I would start with something like this. I am so sorry for this situation that you're in. I don't know what that's like. And I I don't pretend to know the depths of what you're going through and how afraid that you are. If I if I could ask you, and, and, and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but where are you at today in terms of, you know, you've just told me in, if you've got three months left in two months time, your last month is going to be really, really hard. What about today? Is How is your today in terms of your pain? And Well, I'm, I'm fairly heavily sedated. In fact, I'm glad that I can be coherent enough to get a sentence out uh, in the, you know, I'm, I'm basically on morphine all, almost all the time because uh, the, the pain in my stomach is constant. It, it's not ever going to go away. Um, and it, and it, sort of ra- it sort of radiates through the rest of my body. Uh, I wish if it were confined, confined just to my stomach and GI tract, that'd be, that would, might be tolerable, mm. but I feel it. I mm. feel it everywhere. Mm. Uh, and so 
and, that, and my doctor said that's only going to get worse. I'm going to become completely incontinent. Uh, I'm going to. I'm basically going to lose. I'm going to lose control of my gastrointestinal mm-hmm. tract uh, the closer it gets to death. And that, that's 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 not only the painful part, but that's humiliating, and mm-hmm. that's the kind of suffering that I don't. I don't want to be a burden to my family mm-hmm. to have to to have to deal with all of that. Uh, I would much prefer for them just to be able to to be done with this, to grieve, get on with their lives. Uh, I, I mean, I would never consider being such a burden to them that it, you know, it provides this this, this crushing burden on their mm-hmm. lives for the next few months because somebody's going to have to take care of me completely around the clock. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I'm where I am today, I'm realizing all of that. Mm-hmm. I'm dreading it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I mean, I don't see any way out of that. It's not, it's not going to get better. It's only going to mm. get worse. Yeah, I, I'm not going to minimize your fear and and that reality. It sounds very painful. One of the things that struck me of what you said is, you know, having someone take care of you around the clock. Have you ever been in a situation where you've taken care of someone around the clock? Has that ever been a life experience for mm. you? Yeah, when my children were young and and sick. And and uh, what what was what was that like? It was exhausting. Mm-hmm. I could hardly wait till they got better. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, you know, I did it because that's what parents do. Mm-hmm. But you know, is that's not an experience I would want to repeat. Uh, if you could only have had the experience of your children with that experience as part of it, or the alternative was experiencing life without your children at all. Oh, I would have Which taken. Would the, I would have taken the former, of course. Why? Because there's there's value in the relationship, regardless of how, how hard it is. There's value in having those relationships, and I, 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 we are obviously much richer for having the people who are in our lives in our lives. Mm. Um, it's just I don't want to be that burden to somebody else. Have you expressed that to your family? Mm-hmm. What have they said? They told me that they don't consider it a burden. Uh, that that's what families do. Do do. But there, but this is only getting started. We're not, you know, we're not down the road mm. a bit. I, they may change their tune at some point. But right now, know. you at least feel that what they're saying about you not being a burden is truth. Right. I don't think I don't actually don't think they actually know what they're saying. Hmm. Do you think they know what they're saying for today, though? Well, yeah, yeah. That's that, that, fair. At this mm-hmm. moment, that's fair. at this moment today. Uh-huh. So, if I was willing to bring in a doctor to execute assisted suicide right here, right now, for you in the next five minutes, would you say yes to that? Is it my only chance to do it? No. Yeah, probably not. Why not? Because uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not ready to go meet the Lord yet. Do you believe the Lord gives us what is sufficient for the day? Yes. So you're rightly overwhelmed by the thought of the next three months. But it sounds like you're not as overwhelmed about today. I'm not. Yeah, that's. I think that's fair. And it sounds like your family is also not overwhelmed. That's also true. And so wh- how do you feel about just taking each day— as it comes and and not 
it's possible that what the doctors have said is going to happen as they've said it. But would you also agree it's also possible, just in the realm of possibility, that things won't happen precisely as the doctor has said on a technically possible level? Yeah, I'm sure, you know, our doc, doctor, my doctor's not infallible. He's a pretty smart guy, but he, but, you know, he's made mistakes in the past. And he, and he admits that there's, you know, he can predict some things on the short term, but not really in the long run very well. Mm-hmm. So what if, if knowing that technically what could happen is unknown and what is happening is known and what is happening, it sounds like from what you've said, is a situation where you want to continue to live right now and you do believe that your family is not feeling overwhelmed and burdened by caring for you. That at least right here, right now, you're wanting to live for today. Yes, that's right. I, I can't predict that that's going to be that way tomorrow or in a month. Um, and that's why I'd like, to, I'd like to have the option mm-hmm. of assisted suicide maybe a month from now, two months from now, when, when my suffering gets to the place where I deem it intolerable. What would make your suffering um, not intolerable? What, what would give bring joy to your days? What would make you want to die naturally as opposed to purposefully? What would those days have to look like for well, you? I think have, having my wife and family around, um, you know, being able to read a good book, mm. uh, you, know, have, you know, have people who are important to me in my life just be around. Mm. Um, you know, but then I'd say when it comes to the, the maybe the last month when my doctor predicts I'll be in a fetal position, I don't want my kids to see me like that. I don't want mm-hmm. them to remember me like that. Mm-hmm. I want them to remember me in this, you know, in this condition. I'd really like them to remember me like 20 years earlier when I was in perfect health. Um, so I don't, yeah, I'm not sure I want them to remember me mm-hmm. in this, you know, in the way I'm going to be mm-hmm. when it gets down to the final days. If I'm hearing you right, though, you do want them to remember you today as you are today. You want them to experience you today. I'm okay you with that. You're okay you know, it's with not it. My, you know, it's not, it's not my, fir- not my first choice. But right, right. I'm okay with that. Do you? Who's planned for tomorrow? Do you? Do you have someone coming out tomorrow? Uh, it depends on what my wife has planned. I know she'll be here. Oh, okay. Which is, you know, that's probably good enough for tomorrow. Right. So now I'm going back to narrating okay. mode because I mean we now, could we, note to listeners <laughs> we're stepping out of the role play right here. stepping out of the role <laughs> yeah, play note to listeners that was a role play <laughs> correct so yeah I wanted to step out of it in order to make the point that conversations like this can't happen quickly and so that's why eventually I thought well we're just going to have to break this for the sake of of demonstration yeah. that we can't be rushed. And we want to also to try to just be for me to try to convince you that you should never have assisted suicide is not going to help. But can I convince you to not want it today? That was my goal. My goal was, how do I convince you to not want it today? And then my next goal was, who's coming tomorrow? How do I give you purpose for tomorrow? Oh, you just told me your wife is coming. And and then if I, you know, was involved in this situation, then also I would be pulling your wife and children aside and talking to them. How are they doing, first of all, from caregiver caregiver mm-hmm. fatigue perspective? Are they overwhelmed the way you're feeling they're overwhelmed? If they are, how do we alleviate that? If they're not, how do we help them help you better? Because sometimes loved ones don't realize that they might be conveying 
the burdensomeness of the sick loved one. Mm. And and so how do we help them interact with you in a particular way that that helps you feel more that you're not a burden than that you are a burden, which is how you're feeling now. And then how do we have them do intentional activities with you that give you joy? So then you start, you know, that was just one little thing I asked. But again, if you had more time, you would you would really tease that out. What will make you fulfilled? And then inclu- being super intentional about making that part of a person's day. There is a, a physician in Canada named Harvey Chachanov who has developed something called dignity therapy, where he works with people to help them leave a legacy that is fulfilling for them. So to if they can't write, then you interview them and you write for them. What are your messages for loved ones? What are your lessons from life that you want them to know? What are funny moments you've experienced? And now they have purpose. Oh, I'm storytelling. I'm legacy leaving. I'm doing all of this. And and if people have that, then they're less likely to want assisted suicide. Um, and then and then going back to what I said about just focusing on today is if we look at a situation of suffering and we look down the road, it is completely overwhelming and all the more reason people want to exit in those situations. So we also want to bring people back to the present. What can we do right now? Okay, we get through today and then the next day. And then we start to realize if you go through 10 good days, if you were, if I were to keep talking to you and you were to have 10 good days, And then a really bad 11th day where you then say to me, I've been going day by day and now I want it. It's day 11 and it's a bad day. Okay, well, it's natural you're going to say that because when we're in the midst of total turmoil, that is when we say I want to die. But because we went day by day in that moment, I'll be able to ask you, how was yesterday? How was the day before yesterday? And now you're going to start to tell me and think through the last 10 days. And then we're going to look that of the past 11 days, 10 out of 11 were good. Is it possible? And we go to the technicalities. Is it technically possible that day 12 could be better than day 11? But again, it's it's a slow process, which is why I thought, well, let's just provide some analysis. We hadn't set up all the parameters of exactly who he was, and that kind of came out in the conversation. In the middle, you said something about pleasing the Lord. I'm like, oh, he's role-playing a Christian here. Yes, yes, yes. How did that change or not change the dynamic for you, how you approach a conversation like this? Yes. Well, certainly the moment people mention things, and and I, I think we stopped shortly after that, but that's why I asked, do you believe the Lord gives us what we need for the day? Mm. Because the moment you identify someone's belief system, such as being a believer in Christ, well, well, then also this is a time to relate to the suffering Christ. Now, you might not say that at that exact right, moment, right. but we we are then going to want to work with that person. What does the script? What do the scriptures say uh, about suffering? Work through the book of Job, maybe with them. Um, not in that moment per se, but you're going to learn more. And how do I help them see that from God's perspective, we aren't to be the ones who take lives including our own. Do you think it's a fair question? This hit my mind, but I don't know. This is not my world of expertise. When you said, um, Scott, I don't want to go have my kids remember me this way. What hit my mind is, you know, in the big picture of your life, do you want them to remember you as somebody who did choose to take your life or who went out all the way to the end trusting the Lord? Mm -hmm. Like, is that the kind of question? I'm curious how that 
strikes I, you? I think definitely at some point a question like that. I think what would be more helpful would be to phrase it in a way that's not going to give a yes or no answer. Because mm. when someone's in pain or they're really stressed, they're probably just going to say, no, I, yeah, I don't want them. I really don't want them to see me going out this way. But if, if you were to say, um, just... To, to phrase it in such a way that they start to think, well, this is a part of the story and the story has different chapters. And there mm. have been other parts of my life that have been hard. They saw me angry. They saw me fight with my wife. They saw me do, but that was, that was the whole of me. And, and, and how would I feel if my child gave up on life because I gave up on life? Now, they might say, I would feel fine, but get more specific. How would you feel if your son's marriage broke up and he committed suicide because of that, because you'd committed suicide, albeit assisted, when you were dying from your cancer. So now he's seeing, okay, is, my son wouldn't have been in the exact same situation as me, but is it possible that he could extrapolate from what I've done in this situation and now apply it to just a different type of suffering? Would you, how would you feel? So not, would you be okay with that? That's going to give a yes or no answer. How would you feel about that? But that's still a way of saying what you're going through matters. And it echoes to your kids. Even if you can't do the things you want to do, Mm -hmm. the way you suffer matters for your loved ones. That's Mm -hmm. what you're communicating which takes it to a whole nother level in Absolutely. some ways. Absolutely. The the again, it's all about what what example are we giving? And then even it was interesting, again, we're role playing, so I had to work with what you said, but <laughs> I thought I thought I had and it actually goes to show we can actually think we've got a good direction and then discover it's not with a particular person. Hmm. So I thought I went in a great direction when I asked you if you ever cared for someone around the clock. And I was expecting you to say, as you did, my children. But then when you were like, I was just desperate for that to end and I wouldn't want to live through it again. I was like, I wasn't expecting you to go that way. So, you know, but so, so, and that's yeah. the thing about interacting. Don't, don't tell my children. That. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing about interacting with people is we are all unique and mm. we're unrepeatable and irreplaceable and we can't be scripted. So as th- this wasn't to tell someone you will have a conversation exactly as we've done it. It was simply to demonstrate we got to go slow. We got to ask questions. I want to draw stuff out of you. I want to seek to understand. There's this ancient prayer called the peace prayer. And midway through the prayer, you say, Oh, divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be understood as to understand. And so I think the heart of the person talking to the suffering individual is to want to seek to understand what's going on. And that takes patience and that takes a lot of questions and then it takes a lot of listening and then it takes a lot of praying. Well, I I hope our listeners have felt like this is a helpful exercise. Stephanie, I appreciate you sort of stepping into that Mm. role role play with me. I know Mm. it was putting you on the spot a bit. Um, But I think it, it... what came out of this, I think, was a couple of things that were really important. One is the importance of presence, listening, and asking questions. But the other thing, I think, is to, to emphasize on what is it that will give a, a suffering person some sort of meaning mm. to help, not, not maybe not entirely redeem it, but to, but to make it tolerable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that to focus, to focus on the legacy that you're leaving— uh, you know, what, what do I want my kids to remember about me? 
uh, you know, what do I what do I want to impart to the people who are closest to me? We have a good friend who said, I, you know, I, sp- I spent a lot of my life modeling for my kids how I wanted to live, how to live. And now God's given me the chance to model for them mm. how to die. Wow. Yeah. That's really powerful. It's mm. the last um, lesson you will leave. Right. And I want to make that mm. one a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So, the, the, I, so I very much appreciate you sort of stepping into that with me. Uh, because it's, I think it's really insightful for our listeners to realize the the tangible good that they can actually do for for their loved ones who who are in pain and suffering, particularly if it's not if you know if it's not if it's not going to be temporary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's a big part of our calling as the body of Christ mm-hmm. for each other. And at the end of the day, we are made to love and be loved, and as an elderly person who wants, you know, say they have children and they don't want their, as you described, don't want their kids to see them suffering this way, who once was parenting a young child, they loved. Now at the end of life is their opportunity to be loved. And to even get someone thinking, when you were caring for your children and you were exhausted, what did caring for them do for you? when they couldn't communicate, when they were infants, when they were crying, when they were whatever, how was your caring for them growth and virtue for you? And then helping them see that your adult child's now caring for you is your way of doing nothing, but at the same time doing everything. Your total and utter dependence on your children is giving them an opportunity to love, having been loved, to love in such a way as to be totally transformed in their person and in their growth and virtue. Yeah. And it's also building virtue into the patient himself or herself by being dependent. Yes. Like that. Humility, right? Realizing, okay, I, that it's very humbling, right? You, you, the, the difference, of course, between an old person and a baby is a baby has never known toileting themselves, as an example. But the, the old person who has been totally independent is now very vulnerable. But that, that growth in, in surrender and, de- and dependency and humility. Stephanie, this has been so insightful. Thank you so much for agreeing to do part two with us on this. Uh, I want to I want to commend your book uh, when when it when it's available. Suicide to a sister not a life affirming reflection on the universal experience of suffering. As the book really is much more about that than it is about assisted suicide. So we're very grateful for your time with us for for writing the book. Uh, continued blessings to you in your pro life ministry around the world. Uh, And we look forward to having you on again at some other point. Thank you. God bless you both. This has been an episode of the podcast, Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture. To learn more about us and today's guest, Stephanie Gray, and to find more episodes, go to biola.edu forward slash thinkbiblically. That's biola.edu forward slash thinkbiblically. If you enjoyed today's conversation, give us a rating on your podcast app and share it with a friend. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, think biblically about everything.